would open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We are presently going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, and I want to warn you before we even begin, begin this morning that um, the first service was kind of heavy from my perspective. And I did the teaching. So just kind of a warning, you know. Uh, it's a heavy topic because it's dealing with marriage, it's dealing with divorce, it's dealing with something that many people in the church have dealt with, uh, marriage and divorce. And so, like always, you know, we want the Lord's perspective on these things, we don't want to be slaves to just our own culture or what we believe, you know, culturally. We want to know what the Word of God says about these things, very important things. So if you would stand with me, we'll read our text. It's only two verses today, but don't be surprised. We're going to be jumping all over the place today looking at scriptures. So our text begins in verse 31. Jesus, of course, speaking, it says, Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, here it is again, but I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And Father, we pray that as we deal with this topic today, controversial, confusing for some, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear Truly, what your word says, what, your, what you have to say, Lord. We, we pray, Father, that we would, at the end of this study, take marriage more seriously than perhaps we took it when we arrived here today. And so, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Remember, guys, in the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is dealing with the attitudes of the heart the Beatitudes, it's all about the attitude of the heart. Uh, he takes six commandments from the law, 600 plus commandments. He takes six of them and he interprets them as they were meant to be interpreted. And so here he deals with the law. We'll look at the law in just a moment here. But I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 19 because Jesus dealt with the same question later on in his ministry and we have an account of that in Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to pick that up in verse 3. It says, The Pharisees also came to him, testing him. They were always testing him. They never had a legitimate question. They were always trying to entrap him. Uh, so testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read? So know what he does. He always takes it right back to the word of God. He says, have you not read? He who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two, note this, this is important because it's repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. And the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I bet a lot of you thought that that was something that a pastor came up with for his, you know, officiation of weddings. No, this is the words of Jesus that said these things. Has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 7. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness, listen, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted, he did not command, he permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and here he repeats himself, uh, as we saw in chapter 5, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another. So he's speaking to the man who divorces his wife. He marries another. He commits adultery. And whoever marries her, so the wife, who is divorced, commits adultery. And then verse 10, we see that the disciples were even confused and perplexed about his answer. It says, his disciples said to him, if, this is, if, if such is the case of a man with his wife, It's better not to marry. And then he goes on and, of course, talks about (laughs) celibacy, which is a gift. You could turn back to Matthew chapter 5. The law that he was dealing with in this portion of Scripture is the law that's found in Deuteronomy, which, remember, it is the law repeated. And it's not just repeated, it's highlighted. So in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1, and I'll read that to you. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. Note how it reads, guys. It's very, very important how it reads. He finds some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Now, of course, the understanding of what was being spoken of here, the law that was given here, is not just seen in the first verse, it's seen in the first four verses. So you you have the, the, the fuller understanding when you look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, But the controversy of this particular thing was found in verse 1. And so that's what's being focused on here. The focus is on this supposed command that Moses gave to the children of Israel that if a man, and I want to emphasize that, guys, wives were not divorcing their husbands. Wives had no right to divorce their husbands. It was the husband who was divorcing the wife. The wife had no authority to write a certificate of divorce and to place it in her husband's hand and say, get out of my house. The husband did. So are you in a little hot under the collar here? Hang with me. So the controversy, again, was over verse 1. And the issue revolved around a loose or strict interpretation of what the word uncleanness means. Those who wanted to make divorce easy held to a loose interpretation. Now, guys, I could give you the names, but the names would be meaningless to most of us. 
But there were rabbis at that time, at the time of Christ, that were teaching different things concerning divorce. Uh, Some of the rabbis taught that a husband could divorce his wife for any reason at all. Some of the rabbis taught that if a man found a woman more attractive, that would warrant uncleanness in his wife, and so he could divorce his wife. And other rabbis said, no, the only uh, allowance for divorce is if in the case of unfaithfulness, so similar to what we, we see here from Jesus. So the issue is uncleanness. The word uncleanness means nudity, disgrace, and blemish. And let me tell you what the uncleanness was not speaking of. The uncleanness was not speaking of adultery. How do we know that? Because if it was adultery under the Mosaic law, there would be death. So there wouldn't be, it wouldn't be just a divorce, there would be death. So we know it was something other than adultery. And there lies the problem. It's not clear what that uncleanness is. Again, the word, it means nudity, disgrace, blemish, but it's unknown. But it's obvious from what Jesus is teaching here and what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 19 and also what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's obvious that the Lord was not giving man a right, under the Mosaic law, let me clarify that, um, a right to divorce his wife for any reason at all. I mean, that's obvious from the text. Now, you say, well, Dan, you know, these rabbis, that's what they were teaching, different views. It sounds like today there's different pastors. They have different opinions about these things, and they could probably find scriptures to back up their opinion on why they teach this or why they believe that. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that for us, we could care less what these rabbis taught or what their opinion on Deuteronomy 24 is. I don't care what they thought. I don't care what they taught. It doesn't mean anything to me. What matters to me is what the Word of God says, what the Lord says. Here lies the problem. Now we're going to get heavy. It seems that the opinions of the world are held near and dear to many professing Christians today. And by that I mean, it seems that Christians are divorcing for the same reasons that non-believers are divorcing. And that is really for any reason. Various reasons. And so there's not a distinction. In fact, you know, I'm not Father Time. I'm... uh, I've been walking with the Lord for going on 45 years, and I remember uh, that there was a distinction. The divorce rate in the church was much lower in the church than it was outside of the church, or in the world, as, as I might want to put it. But today we know, and it's been like this for a long, long time, so it's not like, you know, things are going downhill though they are going downhill very quickly, but but it's been this way for quite some time, that the Percentage of people in the church are, is the same, a divorce rate, the same as what we find outside of the church. So there's not a distinction. So why is that? Why is it that Christian people feel free to enter into marriages and, and, and to divorce 
you know, for various reasons. And I don't doubt that people who have gone through divorces, and I know that many people in our fellowship have gone through divorces, and I doubt that, that anyone would say, yes, our divorce was, uh, we had no good reason I'm sure that from man's perspective, there was a good reason to divorce. But Jesus said, again, just going back to what Jesus said, Jesus says, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality. And so for me, as a Bible-believing Christian, um, not just on this topic, but of all topics, you know, I want to know what the Lord says. Um, do you believe the Bible? See, it comes down to that. And most professing Christians would say, yes, I believe the Bible. I believe all of it. I believe the Bible. Do you know that in the Bible, there are only two legitimate reasons given, biblical reasons for divorce? The one is obvious, what we're seeing here, sexual immorality, or you might have the word fornication in, in your Bible. There's different translations, of course, of the Bible. The word means the same thing. There's that reason, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's a reason given, and that is abandonment. So if you have a believing husband or wife and the non-believer leaves, and departs, abandons the believer. The believer is not bound in a, uh, a marriage like that, and so the, a divorce would be allowed in a situation like that. In fact, in First Corinthians chapter seven, that's where that is uh, recorded, verses twelve through sixteen. But in First Corinthians chapter seven, verses ten through eleven, it says this: Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But if she does depart, so, so he says, don't depart. You cannot depart. But if she does, because he knows, some will. But if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So again, going back to the reason that Jesus gives, the biblical reason for divorce that Jesus gives, sexual immorality or fornication. The Greek word that's used here is the Greek word pornea, and pornea is a word, you could probably put the pieces together, where we get our English word pornography. So as I mentioned last week when we dealt with, you know, the eye, the one who looks upon another with lust in their, you know, they've committed adultery in their heart already. I mentioned pornography. That's a plague. It's a self-inflicted plague. You know, no one's making you look at pornography, but it's surely a plague on our culture and sadly upon many that are in the church today. But the word literally means... Uh, the Hebrew word that's used here, I'm sorry, the Greek word that's used here, it's not Hebrew, is it means harlotry, and it includes adultery and incest. So the Lord says, listen, if there's harlotry, if there's adultery, if there's incest, divorce, you could divorce in a situation like that. You know, guys, it's wrong that marriage has become something of little value 
among God's people. It's wrong that marriage is seen as something that's easily thrown away among Christians. It's wrong, but I think it's also an indication that we're living in the last days. And by that I mean, Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and he says, for men or people, it's not just men, for people who will be lovers of themselves, unthankful, unloving, unforgiving, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So Jesus, again, verse 32 of our text, look what it says there. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And we look at it and say, why? Why would it cause her to commit adultery? Well, if she was to go and to be joined to another man, um, that union, in God's eyes, is an illegitimate union. Why? Because he sees the first union, the oneness, as still binding. If it was for any other reason but sexual immorality, he says, no, that other marriage is still binding. Now, you know, these are difficult things because you're thinking, oh gosh, so I'm still married to my old wife or my old husband or something like that. And these are the thoughts that run through our mind. And I hope that rather than looking at this from a personal, you know, kind of, you know, your own experience, that you would rather look at this through the lens of the importance of marriage. The Lord is saying marriage should be honored by all. That marriage is not something that we should enter into lightly but we should really pray about it. We should consider what we're doing. I mean, this is a serious thing, you know. And this is a covenant. This is a lifelong covenant before the Lord. And the reason that the woman, because again, Jesus is not dealing with women divorcing their husbands. He's dealing with the problem that was present at the time, and that is men divorcing their wives at a whim. And he says, uh, listen, you're creating a mess. A person might, a person might have a, a divorce that's recognized by the state, but it's not recognized by the Lord because it's illegitimate. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, especially if you're a woman and you're sitting here and you're saying, well, this isn't fair. And let me tell you, if you're thinking that, if you're thinking this isn't fair, these words of Jesus, you are misunderstanding the point of Jesus completely. Because Jesus is not only elevating the importance of marriage, Jesus is protecting the victim in these illegitimate divorces. Who was the victim in these illegitimate uh, divorces? The woman was the victim in these illegitimate divorces. So he he had your back. He had your back. Now, you know, If we were to spend time, and we're not going to, but if we were to go back to the law that's being addressed here in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, we would see that the point of the issue, and uh, the point of the issue is that if you give your wife a certificate of divorce, she leaves your home, she marries another man, 
So now she's having sexual relations with him. He dies. Something happens to him, and she wants to come back to you. He says, don't do that. What's been done is done. You, you just can't, we can't have this happening in, in the land. And the fact of the matter is, sadly, even among Christians, is that we kind of have that same thing happening. We have people, they separate. Oh, we're not getting along, we separate. And because our culture is so pleasure-centered that even among Christians, there's not this this, uh, sense of holiness. So you go out, maybe you're not marrying people, but you're fornicating with people, you're having sex with people. Guys, if you could see it this way, and it's really kind of hard and strange to see, and this is why I was emphasizing what the Lord said about the two becoming one, is that two people becoming one, they're one flesh, they're one unit in God's eyes. When adultery takes place, that person who's guilty is joining himself to someone else. There is a union. It is an unholy union, but it is a union nonetheless that's been created which is breaking the first union, the marriage. I, you know, I I was a little nervous about teaching this because the more I studied it last week, it just, I felt like more and more things were just coming to mind. I felt like the Lord was showing me different scriptures that I hadn't considered for a while. And I, I felt that the Lord wanted me to really stress in our church, those who are listening, the importance of marriage. But at the same time, I'm a little nervous because I know that many people have gone through divorces. And so there is that, you know, the last thing I want to do is have you leave here with your head hanging low and, you know, you're depressed and you're shamed and, you know, all of these types of things. There are people who have been divorced before coming to Christ. And, you know, um, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things I did before coming to Christ that I'm absolutely ashamed of. I wouldn't want anyone to know the things that I've done. I wouldn't want my wife to know the things that I've done before coming to faith in Christ, before our marriage. So no one's, you know... I'm not here to rub your nose in anything or anything like that. But I, 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 I do want to say there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But I do want to emphasize this, that if you're a Christian, you're a Christian, and you say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, which is a Weird statement, isn't it? We all should be Bible-believing if we're truly Christians. How do we follow Christ if we don't know who Christ is without the Scriptures, you know? But I'm a Bible-believing Christian, and you would see your marriage as an unhappy marriage. And maybe in, you know, the secret places of your heart, you've thought, you've toyed with the idea of divorce. I would say to you, what are you thinking? What are you doing? You can't go there. Do you understand the importance of marriage? The reason the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world is because the 
people in the church are thinking just like the world thinks. Now, I want to give some examples, and I don't want to, I'm not mocking anybody. We have a buzz up here. I don't know what it is. Something's buzzing. It just started buzzing all of a sudden. But um, it's that bass player. But, uh, you know, when we think or we say things like, I've got to be happy. Or, um, I've got to put myself first. He's still not fixed. Something happened up there, I'm sure. Did you hear that, guys? I don't want you to miss this. I've got to be happy. I've got to put myself first. When we say things like that, you know, we're, we're thinking and we're, we're speaking like the world because the world is always focused on self. And as Christians, you know, this is the challenge. Uh, it's a lifelong challenge to get Christians, people who are born again, people who are born of the Spirit, people who have eternal life in Jesus Christ, people who know that this life is a blip in time and we have eternity before us. To get Christian people to think beyond, beyond the, the temporal experience of this life, and I think so often we put so much importance upon, you know, me, myself, and I. I want to be happy. I, I only have one life to live. And I, I you know, and, and when we say things like that, we're not considering a number of things. We're not considering that we are called to be light and salt. That we are called to, called to be different. That we are called to be an example. That we are called to be a witness. That we've been called out of darkness into the light. I mean, we look at those things and we say, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. But it's seen in the practical day-to-day walk of our life. That's where it's seen. How we approach things, how we deal with things, how we deal with the marriage that might not be happy or good in our eyes. The Christian life is not a life focused on I. The Christian life is supposed to be a life focused on Christ. You know, in pre-marriage counseling, I'm not betraying anybody. It's just a statement that I've heard quite often when I've gone with a couple, you know, through pre-marriage counseling. And quite often I'll hear people say, we married too young. I was too young when I got married. And usually I'm looking at someone in their late 20s or 30s or 40s. And I say to them, I like to point out the obvious, you're not too young now. I mean, what's the plan? To end this thing and then go back and live like an 18-year-old? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's self-centered. It's not Christ-centered. Oh, let me, let me go a little deeper with this. Do you know, guys, when you look at the Scriptures, as you read through the Scriptures, and I hope you do, I hope that you're a person who reads and studies the Word of God, As you do that, from time to time, you may come across statements in the scripture that says, you know, it's the Lord speaking, and he says, I hate. But those are rare. 
It's not too often that you read God on a tangent saying, I hate this, I hate that, I hate this, I hate that. In fact, if I was to ask you, what does God hate? Most of you would probably think of something that God himself did not say, but Solomon said about God. Do you know what I'm referring to? Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. It says, these things, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Here it is, a proud look a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives or devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. And then this last one, this last one ironically is, is a problem that happens in churches all the time. I mean, it causes splits in churches and broken relationships in churches all the time. And we forget that this is one of those things that Solomon said God hates. And it is the one who sows discord among brethren. So those are some things that God hates. And Jesus tells us, and I believe that Jesus is God. Jesus tells us that he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Remember that in Revelation chapter 2. I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And we can say, yeah. Do you know what the deeds of the Nicolaitans were? Do you know who the Nicolaitans were? The Nicolaitans were the laity who lorded over, or the, 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 the clergy, if you will, that, that ruled over, that lorded over the laity. Jesus says, I hate that. I hate these hierarchies that you see in the high churches, in Catholicism, in Greek Orthodox, in Russian Orthodox. I hate it. I hate people lording over my people that you see in Protestant churches. He says, I hate it. I remember in the 70s, there were, late 70s, there were a lot that were involved in this movement. It's called the shepherding movement. And you know, people were assigned a shepherd, an elder, and that elder would basically tell the people in the church, you know, or his little group of people in any given church, what they could do, when they could do it. You want to buy a car? Well, you better go talk to your elder about that. You want to get married? You better go talk to your elder about that. Jesus says, I hate that. I hate that. That's not how my church is built. It's not anyone lording over my people. Would you turn with me to Malachi in my long closing here? Malachi chapter 2 in verse 10. Last book of the Old Testament. It's not that far from where you're at. We read, Have you not, or have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do you deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Here it is. For Judah has profaned the Lord, listen, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves, by the way. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tent of Jacob or Israel the man who does this being awake and aware, or literally being teacher and student. Guys, 
Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he dealt with those, you know, Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the prince, uh, king of Persia, and he had such a heart to go back and to restore the walls and the gates of Jerusalem after the captivity, the Babylonian captivity. And the last chapter of the book by his name, we read, In those days I, saw, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of the one or the other people. So I contended with them. Who? With the Jews. With his people. He says, I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters, listen, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. And that's what they were doing. They were giving their wife, the wife of their youth, a certificate of divorce. Get out of here. So they could marry a pagan woman. Listen, 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 listen. I got to stress this because we live in an age of lies. This is not racism. This is in the name of the purity of the faith. Because the scriptures, if you're a student of the scriptures, you know that every time the people compromised, they never led anyone to Yahweh. They, they weren't having altar calls for Yahweh. Come, place your faith in... No! They went to the altars of these gods and goddesses and did hideous things, allowing their children to pass through the fires of Moloch. Human sacrifices and all of these things. That's what was happening here. He said, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was loved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing? And all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? Nehemiah was dealing with the same issue. Of course, there are contemporaries. They're dealing with the same problem. Back to Malachi. It says, he has married the daughters of a of, of foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob or Israel the man who does this being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Do you see it? Here's my offering, Lord. Bless me. Bless me. I'm living in complete rebellion to your word. But bless me, Lord. You know, we do the same thing. Too many of God's people, it's, it's like we have this, you know, this other life, this hidden life. We've got this, these secret things going on. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Bless me now, Lord. Bless me. I'm yours, Lord. It goes on in verse 13. Oh, before I go there, let me just read some of the words that are used in relation to marriage. Treachery. It means to act covertly, deceitfully, to pillage. Profaning, it means to wound, to dissolve, to break. 
abominations. It means something disgusting or abhorrent. I want you to note that it is the Lord's holy institution. What is marriage? Marriage is. It's not an invention of man. It's not the institution of man. And yet there are Christian people that even say, oh, it doesn't matter. They're committed to one another. They're common law. And we're not honoring marriage. And marriage is under attack because marriage is the first institution that the Lord has given to humanity. And it's under attack all the time, all around us. And if we're not careful, we belittle this holy institution. We don't take it seriously. The goal to destroy completely the Lord's holy institution. And many professing Christians are helping to that end. It's not right. Well, he goes on. He deals with the unfaithfulness of individual men. He says, the sec- and, and, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, weeping and crying. And he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? They're oblivious. What have we done? We haven't done anything. Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Who? The wife of your youth, your soulmate, the one you couldn't live without. Have you forgotten about her so quickly? The Lord might say. These are heavy things. You say, yeah, we're not under the law. Listen, <laughs> we're not under the law. But the principles, the Lord's dealing with the attitude of the heart. If the attitude of the heart is, show me a law, show me something in writings that I can't do what I'm doing. There's a point in all this, believe me. I'll get to it. I'm almost there. Some of you look like you're sucking lemons. between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously or deceitfully, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make, did he not make one? Here it is again. He's repeating himself. The Lord, did he not, did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed. The word take heed means to hedge about as, a, as with a, a hedge of thorns. He says, take heed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Oh, there's something he hates. For it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good. Isn't that what we're hearing today? 
in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, where is the God of justice? There are some things that the Lord loves. And the Lord's holy institution is something that he loves. He loves marriage. And there are some things that the Lord hates. And divorce is one of those things that he hates. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Why was this so important to God? Why does it matter? Live and let live. What did he want from them anyway? We're told. A holy offspring. He seeks godly offspring. Verse 15. Listen. I don't care what anyone says. Now you're going to say, oh, you're going to lay a guilt trip. I don't know your background. But I'm just, I'm, I'm saying this, and, 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 and maybe not for those that have gone through this, because you cannot undone, undo what's been done. You cannot go back. It's, it's done. But you need to understand, the divorce is devastating to children. I don't know how many times as a pastor that I've talked to grown men and women, not children, I don't counsel children, but grown men and women that as they're kind of telling their story and, and, you know, this and that. And it's not like they're, you know, not able to move on, but it's just a mark in their life. And they'll say, well, my parents split. When my parents were divorced, that was a really rough time for me. And you know what we say? We say, oh, look at Johnny. He's doing fine. Kids are resilient. You know, they bounce back. And the kid's saying, I'm not bouncing back. Listen, I'm old enough to remember, and some of you will hate me for even making this statement, and I'm okay with that as well. I'm going to heaven sooner than later. (laughs) But I remember, I'm old enough to remember, listen to what I'm saying, non-believers, non-believers, saying, and I didn't hear this directly from them, I'd hear it from my parents. We need to stay together for the sake of the kids. I know that that flies in the face, because see, people used to think that way. What way? Selflessly, not all people, but a lot of people, selflessly. Think of other people's rather than yourself. Then came the 80s, and we focused on give yourself a pat on the back. Everybody give yourself an applaud. You're a winner, even though you're a loser. (laughs) We we love, love yourself, love yourself, self, self, self. And we have this byproduct of people that are consumed with themselves. My marriage is miserable. Well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? See, there's far too many of God's people that are in marriages that they would deem unhappy. But there's the wife waiting for her husband 
to become the man that loves her like Christ loves the church. And she waits, and she waits, and she waits. And there's too many husbands that are waiting for their wife to honor them, to respect them. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and nothing changes. And here's the fact of the matter, guys, is that God tells us what divorce is like. He says it covers one's garments with violence. Well, that sounds like a murder scene. That's how God sees divorce? Yes. What do you mean, Lord? And it'd be like the Lord would be saying, have you forgotten already? The two shall become one. The two shall become one. The two shall become one. To separate the two is violence to the one. Oh, okay, Lord. Listen, I'm not speaking, I'm not exhorting people who have gone through divorces. I am exhorting the person, the wife, the husband that says, I'm in an unhappy marriage. I need to live for myself. I need to look out for myself. I've only got one life to live. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm talking to you. You say, well, my marriage is fine. Praise the Lord for that. But we understand, don't we, people? I mean, listen, people who grow in Christ put effort into their growth. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Things don't just happen. Um, I grew up surfing, started surfing when I was 12 years old. That was our thing. My sister started surfing when she was like 10 years old. My sister went on in, I think it was 78, to win an amateur West Coast surfing contest, you know. And the next one was going to be on the East Coast at, uh, in North Car- or South Carolina. Hey, hey, I forget the beach anyway. But, um, but that was kind of our life. That was our life, surfing. We loved surfing. And then, and then we, we moved. We, we moved from Santa Barbara. We lived a block from the beach, you know. I, I'd take my board down to the pier, the spit there, and, and surf. And, and then we moved to Northern California. And so we lived in Northern California for 10 years. And one time my sister came up, and, you know, our quiver of surfboards just began to diminish quickly because we weren't using them. My sister came up, finally asked for my surfboard. She had gone down to Mexico and got one of her board's ripped off, so I said, yes, you could have my board. And so we move up here. We move up here, and, and uh, our, my in-laws, Tracy's parents, moved to Seaside, Oregon. We go down to, to visit them, very first time. We go down, it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, they're living right on the prom. You, you know the, the boardwalk there. And, and I get up in the morning, and there's some binoculars there, and I take the binoculars, and I look out at the point by the cove there, and I'm seeing these, these way overhead waves. And so I grabbed the kids, and I said, let's hike out to the point out here. So we hiked out to the point. There were these waves, you know, 12-foot waves, these guys just ripping right on the point there. And I said, oh, man, I got to get back in the water. 
Now, I'm in my 40s, you know, and so I came back and I did some side jobs. I was a carpenter, so I, you know, framed a garage for a guy and just did some stuff and helped a guy build a church down at the south end of the island and, and uh, made some money and went to the surf shop and said, well, you know, I'm going to get a board. And the guy there said, well, yeah, you, you know, uh, you're going to need a long one. And I said, well, no, 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 I've, I've always surfed on small boards, you know, fish, under six feet, you know, my longest board was a seven-foot gun, you know, and I, I know what I'm doing, and, and he says, uh, you're going to need a long one. <laughs> and so finally I settled for, you know, an eight-foot six, and I thought, well, that's a long board, I've never had a board that long, you know, and, and so I got the board, and then I went in, the most humiliating thing, trying on a wetsuit, trying to get all the parts into it and everything, and... <laughs> And I remember going out, and, and I realized, oh, I'm not just bouncing back. You know, this is, this is a bit of a, a challenge. And then my son, Nehemiah, he was in Hawaii for a while, and he just had a, a love for surfing. And he said, you know, Dad, we should get some boards, and we should surf here on the island. And I said, okay, you know, there's EB and there's... Uh, uh, what's the other place? We, Hasty Lake and, you know, a few places. And So we, we, we got our boards, and first we got some soft top boards, you know, and they lasted for like a month, and then we started getting other boards, and I started getting, you know, just longer and longer boards. So now I, I'm on a ship that I just kind of... <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, I do it my... My son-in-laws, three of them, surf as well. And we do our organ trip every year. And, you know, it's a surfing trip. But I'll tell you, I can't get it back. I just can't. My back, my, my knees, my... I love it. You know, when I'm on my board, when I'm going for a wave, I look like I got my stuff down. But when it goes to actually doing the thing you're supposed to do when you're surfing, standing up... It's not working. And I thought that it was just going to come back because, you know, I I know how to do this. I've done this many times before. And I think sometimes we just kind of think that things are going to be automatic, but nothing is automatic. It takes effort. I go surfing now so I could hang out with my son. That's why I do it. I, I love it. I just, you know, I'm scared to death. I mean, if, if the waves get any big, you know, oh, you're all right, Dad? Yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> I'm a goof. I'm the old man in the sea out there. But, you know, nothing just happens. Walking with Jesus doesn't just happen. A good marriage doesn't just happen. We need to put effort into it. If you're in a marriage that you deem unhappy, then you are part of the problem. So you need to do your part. If you're a Christian, go to the scriptures and say, Lord, I see this. I see that this is my responsibility as a husband. Lord, would you help me? Because I'm not doing this very well. I really need your help to be a husband like this. And you know what? That will be honored by the Lord. If you're a wife... And you say, Lord, I'm looking at the scriptures and, oh gosh, I see these things and I see the virtuous woman. And whenever I read about the virtuous woman, I just feel condemned because I'm not her, you know. 
But do you go to the scriptures and say, Lord, would you help me to be a woman like this? Listen, it's not just you trying. You have the spirit of the living God within you. Listen, if there's one thing that God wants you to be successful at, it's your marriage. I don't know that he cares that much about our jobs or surfing or sports or anything like that, but he wants us to be successful in our marriage. He wants our marriages to be strong. And so it's important for us to be people who are putting effort into it. And and here's the thing, guys. I know some of you, you know, you have a wife and and maybe she's just bitter toward you. She doesn't love you. You know she doesn't. You're there. I feel bad for you. I really do. I feel sad for you. I, I, I would hate to be in a relationship like that. But you're there. So you trust the Lord in that. And there are women, a lot of women marry non-believers. There's always that hope he'll come around. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they never come around, many of them, you know. And I feel bad for you because I know how hard it is. You're married. You love that man. He's your husband. But you're unequally yoked. And the most important thing in your life, which is the Lord, he's not sharing with you. And that's difficult. But we need to be people who are doing our part. And when we as individuals are doing our part, then we as individuals will hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. I know it was a struggle. I know it was hard. I feel like you guys come on up for the last song. Sorry, I shouldn't have told that surfing story. Stuff like that takes up time. But, um, you know, I, I've tried to make this a rule for life. Is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back soon, I believe, for his church. And we should live each and every day in light of that truth. I mean, listen, if you're going, it doesn't matter what you're going through. If if you had the assurance that the the Lord was coming tomorrow at two o'clock, you would say, I could I could hold on. I could bear this. I could, you know. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know when he's coming, but we believe he's coming for his church. And so let's be faithful. Let's be a light. Let's be a witness. Let's show people what uh, the relationship. I mean, think of the honor that the Lord has given us, that we are living, breathing pictures of Christ and his church. Think of that. He didn't say, you know, it's, it's like a father and a son out fishing. No, he didn't say that. It's like a, a, a mother and her daughter, you know, Doing what they like doing, you know. Um, <laughs> he didn't say that. He says, it's like a husband and a wife. The two shall become one. Lord, we pray, stand with me, please. We pray that we take these things seriously. I pray that no one leaves here heavy hearted. We can't undo what's been done. And all of us have these backstories in our life, Lord. All of us have regret in our life. But, Lord, as we look forward in you, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus, and we rejoice that we are new in you. We pray, Father, that we would finish strong, that we would finish well. We pray that you would 
cause us to be the men that you want us to be and the wives that you cause them to be what you want them to be. We pray for the single people, Lord, that they would realize it's, you know, you don't wait until you're married to become that kind of man or that kind of woman. You need to become that now. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us in this room or listening online or downstairs in the cafe, I pray that all of us would realize that there's application even in a topic like marriage and divorce for each and every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name.